Happy Nouveau Day, everybody. Today is the third Thursday of November. It is November 18th, which means we get to taste the very first red wine made from 2021 from none other than Beaujolais. And you know how Beaujolais is made, Maddie? Through carbonic maceration. And that's what we're talking about today, folks. We hope you enjoy. Ethan and I absolutely love today. Uh, it's just a fun reason to celebrate. It doesn't take a lot for me to celebrate these days. <laughs> so you best believe that Ethan and I have a little glass of Beaujolais Nouveau in front of us right now. Absolutely right, Maddie. And just another reason to love autumn. There's football. There's Thanksgiving. My birthday's coming up. We're just three, four weeks away from Christmas time. Yeah, no kidding. What is not to celebrate? <laughs> yes. So for those of you that aren't familiar with Beaujolais, Beaujolais is going to be just south of the region of Burgundy. Some people actually consider it as a re- sub-region of Burgundy. Some kind of think of it as its own region. But essentially, take Burgundy in France, go just south of that, and you're in the region of Beaujolais. You know, here they, they can produce some white wine and some rosé wine, but primarily they are known for red wine, red wine based off of Gamay. Now, these wines are always fruity and juicy. They are honestly a wine lover's dream. They are so simple yet so complex and sophisticated at the same time, especially how they're made, kind of foreshadowing what we're about to talk about. But they're just delicious wines, and to me, they're sort of my guilty pleasure wines. So like I said earlier, they're really known for their red wines based off of Gamay, right? So it's going to be 100% Gamay, but there are different... Uh, different styles, you could say, that are made from within. So within Beaujolais, you'll have the kind of the overarching Beaujolais AOP or AOC. This is the overarching appellation um, covering the entire area. But then as we get more specific, we have Beaujolais Village. And then we also have the Beaujolais Cruise. The Cruise, there's only 10 of them. And these are considered the most prized pieces of land in all of Beaujolais. This is going to be more focused or more concentrated in the northern part of Beaujolais. And that is because they have a higher composition of granite in the soils in this area, which um, allows for great drainage and some beautiful, long-lived, really, styles of Beaujolais. So some of the Beaujolais crews, you guys may have heard of these before. Mm-hmm. These are wines like Fleury or Morgan, Moulin Avant. Um, there's 10 of them. So the list goes on. And they're always delicious too. Mm-hmm. And they're all different styles too, which I love as well. Now, the one that we need to talk about though, the main style of today's topic and why we're celebrating today is the Beaujolais Nouveau. And that is something completely different than the other types of wines that Madison just mentioned. It's the first wine of the season. And it's released only weeks after the grapes are harvested. And although Maddie and I are celebrating right now, you best believe they go all out in Beaujolais when the Beaujolais Nouveau is released. That's right. And that is definitely on my bucket list to be there one day for that. Um, They actually have a big festival in the capital city of this region. It's actually the city of Beaujolais. So it's essentially Beaujolais without the the lay at the end of it. But in Beaujolais, they have this festival. And the festival starts the night before the wine is legally allowed to be released, which would essentially be last night um, on the Wednesday before Nouveau Day. 
And the festival continues for five days straight. There's partying, there's drinking, dancing, um, there's tasting competitions and fireworks. And honestly, we didn't mention it before, but Beaujolais also is, you know, it's a culinary mecca. So you better believe the food that they're enjoying is just beautiful. And that's a great thing about Beaujolais, even Beaujolais Nouveau, is that it's so refreshing. It is very food friendly. You can have it with just about anything. Absolutely right, Maddie. And it's a very unique wine. And this celebration, how it came to be, was really based off this area of Beaujolais just needing more money. This is a farming community, and these farmers just needed money. So what they were farming, of course, they were grapes, just needed to be turned into wine immediately and then immediately put on the market so they could make enough money to then afford next year's harvest. And now it's become an international celebration. I mean, Japan, apparently, through my readings, imports about 25% of the Beaujolais Nouveau every single year. Really? Yeah. And apparently, there have been rumors of it being exported on elephants. It's traveled through hot air balloons to get to their destination. So we have hot air balloons here. Should uh, We should transport it across the valley. We should start a new business. You know what I've actually seen, too, are images and videos of fountains of the Beaujolais Nouveau, and people are in the fountains with this wine everywhere. So uh, it sounds like quite the time. I really hope that's not still happening. <laughs> hey, I don't know. You don't see that out here. Have you seen those before? I have not seen that before. Yeah. Um, now I'm laughing about it, but I guarantee you if I was in the middle of Beaujolais Nouveau celebrations right now, <laughs> you, you best believe it? I oh, would be Ethan. drinking it, not diving in it, but drinking it. So, all right. So we'll save that story for when we go to Beaujolais Nouveau Day. Absolutely. Okay. So um, I think we should talk a little bit about this winemaking style. Beaujolais Nouveau is really known for carbonic maceration. And so carbonic maceration is, you know, essentially a style of a fermentation. So before we get into the nitty gritty with that, because I know Ethan loves to geek out with Carbo, um, we are going to talk about just like a quick winemaking overview. Let's start with white wine. Typically white wine is literally just going to be the juice from these white grapes that will then be fermented into wine. Occasionally you might include the, the skins in there for some aromatic lift, but for the most part, it's just the juice. Of course, rosé wines are going to be made from red grapes where that juice is just brushed by the skins. And that's why you get that light pink, pretty, beautiful color in the wine. But still, you're not really keeping the skins in there for a while. And you're not really using the stems or the seeds for either white wine or rosé wines. Of course, there's exceptions. But now let's move into red wines. Red wines get their color from the skin. So you definitely need to incorporate the skins. And with that, you're typically getting the seeds as well. The stems are optional, right? You see a lot of stem inclusion with maybe some Grenache, some Syrah, maybe even Pinot Noir. But in like places like Napa Valley, you don't really see a lot of stem inclusion for like Cabernet Sauvignon, right? So different styles of red wine might include the stems. Now with olive winemaking, you have a fermentation, right? And typically you'll have the grapes crushed. And so you'll have juice flowing amongst the seeds or the stems if those are included. Now, while fermentation can happen on its own naturally, as there are yeast everywhere, there's yeast on the grapes. If you guys ever, if you ever see grapes and you see that like kind of like white film on the outside of a grape, that's actually just wild yeast. So you could, you could honestly just start fermenting even the grapes you buy from the grocery store by just setting them in a bucket and leaving them on your counter. Um, would not recommend this. Do not do that. But please don't. But yeah, but you could. That's essentially that's wild yeast. And so there's yeast everywhere in the vineyards and the wineries. So you don't necessarily have to add yeast. However, it does allow for some more control typically. So you can add the yeast and yeast will convert the sugar present in the grape juice into alcohol. 
not only is alcohol created, but also heat is created. And you'll also have some carbon dioxide that is created. Both the heat and the CO2 will essentially just leave the fermentation vessel as you're starting to decrease the sugar levels and increase the alcohol. And over time, you end up with wine. Wow, Maddie, that was incredible. Okay, let's talk about what makes carbonic maceration so different than traditional fermentation. And really the only difference, Maddie, is oxygen. So, of course, yeast needs oxygen to survive for it to be able to convert all that sugar into all that good stuff. Well, our cells need oxygen as well to work. So, carbonic maceration can only occur when it's in an anaerobic environment, which means there's no oxygen. Mm. So how do you create that? So carbonic maceration, you take the full clusters of grapes, not crushed, and you put them in a tank. Usually the tank already has CO2 pumped into it prior to the grapes arriving. However, some people do pump CO2 in after the grapes arrive. What the CO2 does is pushes all the oxygen out. So although there's still yeast in the air, it will not function because it doesn't have oxygen to function. So you know what happens? The grapes don't ferment on the outside. They ferment on the inside. And that is called, Maddie, intracellular fermentation. Let's say it again. Intracellular fermentation. And full disclosure, folks, I am not a scientist, nor am I a winemaker. I did not go to school for enology and viticulture. I am just a wine geek who sometimes hits the books a little too hard. So this is all based off my research. And I did work a harvest where someone did make carbonic maceration, and I got to try a grape that went through carbonic maceration. It's really cool. It tastes like a grape with like a little bit of alcohol in it. It's very unique. Boozy grape. Boozy grape. So that's what happens. Intracellular fermentation. Okay. okay. So the yeast doesn't do anything. So on the inside, what happens is the cells start taking their carbon dioxide on the outside, and they start converting that sugar and the inside of the grape into ethanol for it to be able to survive. So how much alcohol is created inside the grape typically? It's not a lot. It's not even close to what we'll get through traditional fermentation where you can get up to like 15, 16% alcohol. The cells aren't nearly as strong as the yeast. So it'll get to like two, two and a half percent alcohol inside the grape, Maddie. And then basically the grape just burst open. Is that because of the CO2 pressure? Um, It could be from the CO2 pressure. It's also just from the fact that like, winemaking it's it's so amazing it's so poetic it's also kind of sad the yeast has to eat the sugar to survive but when it's eating it it creates alcohol and it dies <laughs> that's one way to look at it yeah it's kind of <laughs> so odd. the skins would burst open at that point in time and then the, all the juice can start fermenting is that exactly. the idea exactly it can finish fermentation so what happens after that one grape burst open and it, it causes a chain reaction to say the least it doesn't all happen like at one time but there's enough co2 that is released when that grape burst open and because there's juice on the outside, then a traditional fermentation can complete the fermentation. That's why like Beaujolais aren't two or 3% alcohol by volume. They get to like 12 and a half, 13% because it ends up finishing as a full like fermentation, a traditional fermentation, but it's how it starts in that anaerobic environment without the oxygen that it starts fermenting on the inside. Now there's a lot of other things that happen inside that grape, Maddie, that makes Beaujolais is so unique, makes it so different. It makes any wine made in that carbonic style so different. So I, I've noticed that before. I mean, whenever you smell a wine that goes through carbonic maceration, specifically Beaujolais, 
I mean, the aromas are flying out of the glass and it is very distinct. Sometimes people get bubble gum. I've heard people say like banana peel. It's like super ripe, kind of like fruit roll-up character. It's, yeah. yeah, it's very interesting. You get these unique aromas that you don't get otherwise, really. Exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up. So I'm, I hope most of you that listen to our podcast is I've been out to some kind of wine region and you've tasted these wine grapes or even just tasted grapes that you got at the store. They don't taste like wine. They don't. There's sometimes you can have like Muscat of Alexandria or Gewürztraminer that kind of tastes like the wine, but most of those aromatic compounds are brought out throughout the fermentation process. Um, they become esterified per se, and that is where the wine actually starts tasting like wine. So Pinot Noir really tastes like Pinot Noir after the alcohol is created because mm -hmm. alcohol does a lot of great things, but it also lifts the aromatics. It creates those aromatics. So when it happens inside the grape, all of that is enhanced. And there's a lot of other things that I mentioned that happen besides that intracellular fermentation where the sugars turn into ethanol inside the grape, but there's also malic acid. And malic acid, that sharp acid, the one that, you know, kind of think of when you're biting into a green apple, it's sour, it could be a little lean and austere. Yeah, it's prevalent in all grapes. Exactly, exactly. And that is actually that acid that is converted into lactic acid if you allow malolactic fermentation mm -hmm. to occur. Well, malic acid is a preservative. It's low on the pH scale, so it, like, it protects against a lot. Well, during intracellular fermentation, the malic acid also gets converted too. And it gets converted into a lot of different things like pyruvates and acetoaldehyde, things we don't have to talk about today. But when this happens, new aromatic compounds are created because they happen inside a grape, not on outside, like in a traditional fermentation, they're enhanced. Two of which give off different smells that you're very familiar with when you think of Beaujolais. Red fruit, strawberries, mm. raspberries. I believe it's called like ethyl cinnamonates. Again, I'm not a scientist nor a doctor. Well, I'm not a doctor, honestly. <laughs> not a wine doctor. Drink more wine. I should go Good to Germany. I should go to Germany and become a wine doctor. I love that. <laughs> sure. um, they don't know German though. And then another one that actually creates this sweet cherry, like cursed cherry mm. aroma. Because they're happening inside, they're enhanced. So although these are also created throughout traditional fermentation and, you know, Pinot Noirs and other grapes kind of have these smells, it's enhanced because it happened in the intracellular fermentation. Very unique. That is. And I think that's, I mean, that's very true. I mean, beyond just Beaujolais, whenever we're tasting wine, oftentimes we can say like, oh, I think there's some whole cluster in here in this wine. And that's typically because you get some of those enhanced aromas that you wouldn't get otherwise. And although it doesn't go through the full carbonic maceration, um, that's, I guess, when semi-carbonic might come into play, which you might be talking about later. Absolutely. But, uh, but you can kind of detect that even to a smaller level. But, um, but either there's one other thing I feel like whenever we're tasting Beaujolais or we're blind tasting and we, we look at a wine, mm -hmm. uh, and it's the color. Yeah. It has this like purpley color, but you can see right through it. Well, yeah, you, you're right, Maddie. It's, it's that dark ruby, that purple color, um, but it's not nearly as, you know, dark and concentrated as like Syrah and Malbec will be. You can see, you can see through it. It's shiny. And a lot of it actually does result in what happens inside the grape too. So again, malic acid is, helps fight off a lot of things. It's, it's a preservative. Per, to, to say the least, like that's why, you know, wines with higher acidity can age longer because it helps fight off microbial production, bacterial growth, etc. Well, when there's the malate degradation where the malic acids are getting converted into those other things, of course, the pH level rises and the acids are dropping. So that TA drops as well. So what happens is there's other things in grapes that help protect the grape from multiple things. Um, a lot of them are in the skins, what they call polyphenons. And you know these, Maddie. Yeah. Anthocyanin, that's the, the color compound. And tannin. 
those are always on the skins. Again, they're a little bit in the seeds as well. They leave the skins during intracellular fermentation, and they go right into the center part of the grape, right into the pulp. So inside that grape, the juice goes from clear to pink. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So when I mentioned that I've actually seen a grape that's gone through carbonic maceration or a whole cluster, um, it looks like translucent. It's very unique. It's, it almost looks like a, a marble in, in a way. You know how you like yeah. marbles look? Yeah, yeah. It's very, very unique. That is interesting. Yeah. So now we have like a pink must, I guess you could say. Exactly. Exactly. So the color is very recognizable. The wine, the aromatics are very recognizable because it's like sweet red fruit and candied fruit. It's it's absolutely beautiful. And one other thing too, um, and this also could just be the winery that these wines are made in. Yeah. Um, a lot of times you see this with different French producers, but there's sometimes like just a little hint of Brett. As well, Britannomyces. There is. And that could be a whole another podcast episode on just the yeast that is Brett, the invasive yeast of Belgium. Um, you're right, Maddie. And a lot of it has to do with like, where does Brett come from? Brett can come from, of course, the vineyard um, and come from unsanitary winemaking practices, especially in places like France, where, you know, some of these cellars have been handed down generations on generations and they're old and you know, granted, they don't, you know, they might have some Brett in there. It's very hard to get rid of Brett. So there are certain things like the antioxidants, the polyphenols, but really like the acids that could also help fight off Brett. Brett also feeds on a lot of different things compared to Saccharomyces, which is, of course, just the yeast that we use for fermentation. So it's a tricky, it's a tricky mm. thing. It really is. But because the malate degradation and, and the acid drops a little bit, Brett just comes on in <laughs> if it is already there. I see. I see. You know? So it kind of has to already be present, but then it can be really enhanced. Exactly. It's not like he's like driving through town and he's like, oh, hey, I think they're susceptible to me stepping into their winery. It, it, if it's already there, then it will happen. And you're right. There are some Beaujolais, especially in this area. They're, you know, they're really big on like environmentally friendly wines and winemaking practices. There's not a lot of sulfur added to these wines right. too. Of course, that's one thing that does help fight off Brett as well. Kind of not totally natural, in it, no. but like there is a little bit of that kind of style, I guess you could say, with some of these producers out there. Absolutely. So I think one thing to just kind of put this in a reference would be good is, so really what you were describing just then is like true carbonic maceration. Mm -hmm. So that an anaerobic environment, no oxygen present, where the grapes are fermenting from the inside out, and then they burst open and finish the fermentation. Exactly. Um, and that that is somewhat rare. That's what we see in the Nouveau style. Absolutely. But um, as far as like some of these crews go, uh, that I mentioned earlier, that's not necessarily the case with these wines. Um, there's also such thing as semi-carbonic maceration, which I alluded to earlier. Absolutely. And that oftentimes it's full cluster, right? Mm -hmm. It's um, so you'll still let the grapes kind of pop or ferment from the inside out, but they're not pumping the tanks in with CO2. They're not. And that's really, like you said, that's how most like Beaujolais are made, mm -hmm. besides the Nouveau. Um, because think about it, these these grapes are they're gentle little things and. You're not going to like go in and gently place each grape into the tank. You're just dumping them on top. Usually right. it's like just large redwood tank or Slovenian oak or stainless steel, concrete, etc. You're just dumping them on top. So through them, through gravity, but also through other grapes being piled on top, the grapes in the bottom are going to be, they're going to be crushed and the juice is going to leach out. Um, that is really how most carbonic wine or semi-carbonic wines are made in Beaujolais where the traditional fermentation occurs and through the production of carbon dioxide 
in the traditional fermentation, that CO2 will then help initiate the intracellular fermentation in the grapes that haven't been crushed on top. Mm-hmm. So like whole that's the same thing as whole cluster too, where you purposely add whole cluster into your tank that had um, you know grapes that were already crushed in there. Um, there's other ways of doing it too. I mean, you can place like full cluster grapes that have been crushed into a tank, and you can add something called pied de cuvee, which is basically the same thing. You're adding a wine that's sort of a yeast starter, a wine that's already fermenting into it, so then it will start initiating the intracellular fermentation as well. I see. So there's a lot of different ways to make these kind of wines that are semi-carbonic, whole cluster, or full carbonic, but it really just brings out these beautiful fruit aromas. I, I know a lot of people say banana laffy taffy. I've never smelled it, but I always smell bubblegum. That is like bubble my gum. indicator of that. Yeah, and you said earlier, like it's red fruit. It's juicy, mm-hmm. ripe red fruit, that fruit roll up too. And even uh, the tannin structure too. Uh, I think that's something important to point out as well because it is a light wine, especially with Nouveau. I mean, this is a very easy drinking wine because they're not, you know, they don't have a long maceration, but the stems, you know, the stems are in there. It's a whole cluster as well. And oftentimes when the stems are in uh, contact with the wine, um, you get kind of more of this like, Kind of, it's not a super opulent or ripe style of tannin. It's more maybe like grainy, you could say. It is. Yeah. It is. And I actually, I like that. I think it adds like this nice textural component to wine mm-hmm. that is nice. Sometimes like without that, it's kind of just like short and, you know, very linear, but it adds that more structural component to it. I love them. The best part about them, and I hope the producers in Beaujolais aren't listening and decide to change this afterwards. They're not, say. they're not that expensive <laughs> for what they are, and they're amazing. Yeah. No, it's very true. Especially it's, Nouveau's. Especially Nouveau. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, typically, you know, like 20, 30 bucks a bottle for a really good bottle. Um, I love just putting a slight chill to it um, and just put it in, pop it in the fridge for around 20, 30 minutes or so, and it's beautiful. Exactly. And I think it's a wine that pleases everybody. It pleases like the geekiest of wine drinkers, but also if I have friends that come to town and they're just excited to drink wine, they don't know much about it. They're not geeky or snobby about it like I am, but they like it because it smells yeah. like juice and it's juicy. It's, it's it's incredible. What's not to like? I know there's a there's a fun wine bar in town and uh, it's one of the only things that's open uh, past, you know, like 11 p.m. in Napa. Yeah. So if you end up there and you want a bottle, it's only wine and beer. Yeah. Uh, if you're feeling like red wine, it's always Beaujolais with my friends. Just because it's like it's light, it's easy because I mean, don't get me wrong. Again, we love our Napa cab. However, drinking that at 11 p.m. with no food no one wants the purple teeth. No one wants their mouth to be so dang dry. So uh, Beaujolais, it's it's refreshing. It's um it's a fun wine. Um, everyone gets excited about it. And Ethan, I am so excited about these wines that we have in front of us too. Should we talk about them? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So we are doing a side-by-side today. Uh, Maddie was kind enough to get up really early this morning and get a <laughs> bottle of Beaujolais Nouveau. And then you also had this Cru Beaujolais in your cellar. Is the Morgan? The Morgan. Yeah. Nice. I Big, big fan. 2018. 2018. So it's not that old. Right. You know, and some, actually some of these, believe it or not, could age. And some people are starting to sell her them. So I'm opening it for you today, Ethan. <laughs> well, already the, the color, Maddie, is so – it's a standout. It's a standout. The Beaujolais Nouveau is so, like, bright and vibrant. It's shiny. Um, has, like, slight haze to it. It does. I know. It's kind of – yeah, it's almost, like, kind of murky to it. It's, like, sense. spritzy, kind of. <laughs> yeah. It's probably still fermented. Well, and also, even, like, the depth is not near the same as the, uh, the Morgan here. It's not. It's not. I think – of course, the Beaujolais Nouveau is fun. It's a fun thing. And I think it's become not only like a cash cow, but also just like that tradition that it's it's meant to be made this way. Like it's taking a wine that, like I said, so simple and sophisticated at the same time to just like something just really fun and drinkable. I mean, 
would I, if I had all the money in the world, would I buy this at a wine shop every single night? Probably not. But if I'm going out with friends on a Friday night and I want to drink like two glasses or something quickly, this is definitely something you would drink. kind of, I, I hate saying this because, you know, people always, you know, joke around but it, yeah. with it, but it kind of just smells like grape juice. <laughs> it, kinda, it, it smells like it's still fermenting. It does. It yeah. smells like it's fermenting grape juice right now yeah. in the best way possible. But it's it's so, and like this one, we, we put this in the fridge for a bit. So it, you want to have a nice chill for this year. Um, but it's just, it just keeps you coming back for more here. It's so inviting. Yeah. Uh, the tannins are minimal. Yeah. And uh, it's just fr- fresh. It is fresh. It's fresh. It's juicy. It's meant to be drank quickly, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, th- I don't think you want to hold on to this super long. No. Uh, you want to drink it within the first few months, I think. Absolutely. Um, and also, like you were saying earlier, too. Yeah, This is, I think, uh, I've only had Beaujolais Nouveau. This is my, I, I want to say fourth time. Mm-hmm. And it's only been for the last four years um, on this day. Exactly. <laughs> it's not It's not something that you're like, yeah. oh my gosh, I have to have this. But it's a, it's a fun wine. Um, yeah. It's a fun way to celebrate. But it's yeah. not something that I'm craving the rest of the year i agree now this morgan the beaujolais crew on the other hand i would drink this every single night one because i could afford it but two it's just there's so much more there's a lot more layers to it i feel like there's layers of depth to it there's complexity there's a little bit that earth a little bit that brett character to it but it's not overwhelming it's not taking over the wine you get that sweet red fruit aromatic but i feel like there's more going on i feel like the finish is longer mm-hmm. it's more complex would well, you agree they, yeah absolutely and they you know they they're producing these crews and similar to how they do in burgundy yeah with the pinot noirs up there too so they're they're treated similarly i mean like they might have some whole cluster use there might be some stem inclusion but at the end of the day i mean you're still a lot of these wines are still going to be aged maybe not a high percentage of new oak but they could be aged for you know up to 12 months in oak barrels absolutely Absolutely. Well, Maddie, thank you so much for bringing these. These are both fantastic. I think we should go finish. I would say both these bottles, but you know, my parents listen to this show, Maddie. So let's just go finish the Nouveau. We'll finish the Morgan a couple days from now. But folks, if you actually are looking for other places around the world that make wines in these styles, it is becoming pretty trendy here in the United States to do semi-carbonic, even some people doing whole, like full carbonic maceration or whole cluster in general. But I mean, of course, Beaujolais is the key. Um, in the Loire Valley, also in France, they'll actually, of course, Gamay is also grown, especially in the Touran region. They'll make some Gamays or blends that are in similar to this style. Um, in the Languedoc, which of course makes a lot of wine in southern France, they actually do that with Carignan. Spain, Australia with Grenache. Grenache is also very popular. Not even Argentina with like Malbec I've seen too. So, like, there's everybody's doing this. It's not, like, super common down there, though. No, but it's happening. It's, it's happening, yeah, which is exciting. And, of course, you know, U.S. Pinot. It's, you know, Pinot in general, there's so many different ways of making Pinot, but there are a lot of people out here in the U.S. that actually do some whole cluster of semi-carbonic with their Pinot Noirs, too. Fruity, light, not a lot of tannin, juicy, just absolutely delicious. And I think you're seeing some of those, uh, those hipster winemakers loving the Carbo. I agree. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of that, uh, which is kind of fun. I mean, it's something different, um, but uh, it's just an interesting winemaking technique, I guess. Well, folks, go out and get yourself a bottle of Beaujolais Nouveau. Celebrate the right way with Maddie and Ethan on the Vindamide podcast. It's Beaujolais Nouveau Day. And also, these make for wonderful Thanksgiving wines. So please go get yourself some Beaujolais. Before we leave, Maddie, any pairing suggestions? You're an incredible chef. I think you just have to have it on Thanksgiving Day. I mean, yeah. whether 
I mean, actually, so this is a whole other thing, but I will say last year, I didn't get one to this year. I didn't see it at the store, but last year there was uh, Nouveau Rosé. So that is oh, yeah. a, that is something as well. And that, you know, has a little bit more of that, like, you know, like kind of, you know, light, refreshing kind of quality. Obviously, yeah. regular Nouveau does as well. But um, uh, that with uh, maybe like some like baked brie and like a cranberry compote might be kind of fun. Um, but honestly, the greatest thing about Thanksgiving is that it's, I mean, it's all somewhat neutral. There's nothing like too crazy going on. You know, you have turkey, which is somewhat... Um, I don't know. It's not bland. I mean, I feel like I like to think that I make a decent turkey, but um, nothing is really going to be that hard to pair with. But something like Beaujolais is very generous. It's got that red fruit. So anything with the cranberry sauce will be nice, but the tannin structure really will allow it to go with most foods. I love that. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>